0: The Advancing Women in Sport podcast is created on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to Elders past and present. I also celebrate the massive contribution that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island peoples have made to sport. And I acknowledge their contribution across the world. Hey everyone, Michelle Redfern here, your host of the Advancing Women in Sport podcast. This is the podcast about smashing the patriarchy in sport. I know from my work as a diversity, equity and inclusion consultant that it's really important to fix systems and remove barriers that prevent women from all identities from reaching their full potential in the sport industry and of course beyond. The guests on this podcast are game changers, pardon the pun, actually no pun intended. They are people of different genders, from different places and from different parts of the sports industry. What they all have in common though is that they are agitating, advocating and activating for gender equality in sport. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back, listeners, to uh, the Advancing Women in Sport podcast. As you know, this season I'm talking to people who are smashing the patriarchy in sport and really having a look at what's happening at the system level of sport that prevents women and girls from reaching their full potential, both on and off the field. And I have the great fortune to have uh, Jackie Comer with me today from Areto Labs. And now Jackie found me, which was really awesome. She and, and her colleagues were doing some research for their product, which is very much about women in sport. And I had a, a delightful chat with Jackie a few months ago. I must admit, I was sitting in a very noisy airport, and we were having a doing our best to get to have a conversation about both of our work. And I was really excited to hear about this work and thought, yeah, I really need to talk to Jackie because I really want the world to hear about what she and her colleagues at Iretta Labs are doing. So welcome to the pod, Jackie.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here.
0: All right. So I could do the formal bio, but we're not going to do that because people can read about that. But when people ask you, oh, who are you and what do you do? how do you introduce yourself?
1: That's always a tough question, actually, and something that I've been working on just to be able to say it is, so what do I do? I'm Jacqueline Comer. I am one of the founders and chief product officer at a company called Redo Labs, which is a women-led software company that looks to counteract online abuse. So we built software to track, moderate and counteract online abuse using some very fancy AI technologies. And we do that to make a more positive and inclusive online environment for women, for really anyone who needs to use social media for work and play.
0: The minute you said social media when we first met when you said social media women vilification reducing I went hello I'm I'm here <laughs> for this because I knew myself how vulnerable women are and how exposed women are to particularly gendered and misogynistic and hate speech on social media and the more you know the higher the woman's profile the more likely she is to experience that that abuse But you didn't start off with women in sport, did you? Where did you start?
1: We actually started with um, women in government. So off the sides of our desks before Reto Labs even existed, both Lana and Casey, the other two co-founders, were trying to figure out how to get gender parity in government, that our governments and our laws are not representative of our society. That's not new news. But as people who don't just accept things the way they are and would rather make some change, decided to do something about it. And from, I think it was around 2012 or 2013, the conversations with the women that we were having was all about fundraising. That the biggest concern and the biggest reason why women were not running for office or choosing not to run for office was because they couldn't raise enough money or they weren't sure how to raise enough money and run a campaign. And those were things that were easily solved with some, you know, tapping into our networks and, and trying to put together some teams to run some workshops to be able to do those things. But those conversations, those early morning coffees by 2018, changed from fundraising and money to online abuse, that women did not want to put themselves or their families in the line of fire if they ran for office. And obviously that's a big barrier. And at the time it was a problem that not many people were talking about. There was low awareness, but if you felt it and saw it, you felt it deeply. And not to take things uh, sitting down, a hackathon happened and a piece of software called ParityBot was born. And that was, that was sort of the start of the Areto Labs journey. So this bot was uh, deployed across four different elections, two in Canada, one in New Zealand and one in the United States. And the bot followed women candidates in those given elections. And anytime time they were sent something that was toxic... The bot responded with something positive. So to balance out the negative sentiment, we responded with a positive message to say, you know, stay in the race, we've got your back. And and one of the the things that we learned after uh, the deployment of those technologies, I mean, we learned a lot, but one of the most important things that was the impetus for the ability for us to make some real change in society with this software was that we found that even though these women knew that it was a piece of software that was responding, that there was an increased perceived sense of safety by the candidates, just because somebody had their back, something negative, it validated their experience saying, hey, yes, that's right, that was a crappy thing for somebody to say, that was a threat, that was misogynistic attack, and then to respond on their behalf. And so that was really interesting for us to say, oh, okay, so this it was not just a great way to raise awareness for the problem, but also a great opportunity to actually validate the experiences of people and help them stay in the jobs that they choose to that happen to have public profiles.
0: When we first spoke and, and you you made me aware of this, I recall saying to you, Yes, I recall this past International Women's Day in 2022. Listeners, this is when we're recording. I saw an English bot or artificial intelligence that anytime an organization posted about their gender, wow, look at us, aren't we fabulous? they'd come back and say, Actually, your gender pay gap is this. <laughs> so kind of the reverse of what you're doing, got a bit of a reality check. I was excited because we all know that there's a lot of virtue signaling that goes on around gender equality, or as some of my fierce women friends say, you know, ticking the box, but you know, the reality is nothing ever changes. And I was excited that technology was really was stepping in for good because we talk about technology in the sense of, oh my goodness, I've got the poor impact it has on the world, what about artificial intelligence, you know, are the machines going to take over, yada, yada. And so I was really excited to hear about both that and then the work that you're doing. But I was less excited to hear about the statistics that are associated with the vilification of women and the abuse of women. I'm going to ask you about those statistics around sport in a moment. But so, what changed because politics? And yes, I agree, we've got a long, long way to go. Although I do note that New Zealand is uh, is now has an equal parliament, so gender balanced parliament. Yay, New Zealand always punches above its weight. But you shifted your focus to women in sport. How did this occur and why did you decide?
1: That's a great question. And it's interesting because this whole having a software startup as three women founders, we've been on quite an interesting journey as I heard somebody use the term pioneers today. So I'm going to use that pioneers in trying to solve this problem from a human and technology perspective making sure that humans are taken care of in the process and that technology just doesn't doesn't just take away somebody's job or does a job that you can do at scale and making sure that we're taking care of the people behind the technology so how did we get to sport so we were looking at politics and politics seemed to be a a really great way to raise awareness for the problem but once you start to dig in a little bit to be honest in terms of Who is a politician's boss in terms of who has a duty of care for a politician? The answer is it's complicated and it's kind of no one. It's nobody's responsibility. Is it the the party? Is it the civil servants. It's tricky to find somebody to build a business. This is not a great way to go. And we started to look at all sorts of different markets. We were looking at journalism. We know that democracy dies if journalism dies. And, you know, a lot of women journalists are definitely under attack and face a lot of online abuse and threats to their lives and livelihoods. But again, it's a tenuous market (laughs) for a business to be in we were kind of looking across a whole bunch of different business verticals. And we started to look at sport and I grew up loving sport. My first real job was writing an ice hockey column for newspaper. First woman ever in my city, big hockey city, always someone who was just, I can do anything. I just have to do it. So always been really into it and thought, you know, there's a way to use our technology to start to look at the world of sport and Not just, you know, we saw last year in the men's Euros, three English footballers were attacked with some pretty horrible racist barbs after missing some penalty kicks. And that was like, okay, that's interesting. And once we started to follow different sports using our technology to to track and analyze the language that people were using on social media towards both men and women athletes across a lot of sports, we started to notice uh, some something. It's awful, but not at all surprising that, you know, as you said, Michelle, like moths to a flame, the higher your profile, the greater the attacks. But what we have learned is, you know, from this past Northern Hemisphere summer, so this past July, August, when we looked at, and June, the Wimbledon, as well as the women's football Euros this year, that women athletes received a higher proportion of identity attacks than men athletes. So the higher the profile, if a man's profile is higher, he will attract more abuse. However, a high profile woman athlete will receive more racism, more sexism, more homophobia or transphobia, any sort of very specific attack about the the makeup of that person rather than a horrible, you suck. And fortunately, we know, you know, the, the rise of women's sport is it's here. It's happening. Women's sport is having its moment in the sun, finally. But we also know that for women to grow their profiles, to be able to make the same amount of money for endorsements as men athletes, they need to use social media to be able to attract those sponsors. And the more that they attract those sponsors, the more that they're obliged to post on social media And that means that they're actually putting themselves just to do their jobs, uh, to make an income. They're putting themselves in the line of fire because we know that they will be attacked to do so. And we don't think that that's okay.
0: So when we when we look at high-profile athletes, and I agree with you, interestingly, one of my other guests, Chloe Dalton, who runs the Female Athlete Project here in, in Australia, for the sheer purpose of trying to raise the profile of women, one of her calls to action for punters to support women in sport is follow more women in sport on social media, watch women's sport on TV, go to the games, etc. But, of course, we start to follow the women because... And that gives them a profile that makes them more attractive to sponsors. When they're sponsored, they then have to post, as you said. But it's a double-edged sword. So we know that men who are high profile attract far less vilification than women who are high profile. And we know, and I certainly know from, from our conversation, that two of the most high-profile women that are, that attract real hate speech on social media are Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: But by comparison, their male c- counterparts do not. So what do we do about that?
1: There's a lot of things that need to be done to be able to to solve the problem. It's not a one-stop shop, here you go, here's the, the panacea, take this pill, and it's all gone. It definitely... Sport is a huge ecosystem, and it impacts a lot of different types of people and jobs in society. We need to look at laws. We need to have laws that have teeth that are implemented properly so that people have something to charge other people with for hate speech online. Australia has the Online Safety Act. I think that's a great first step let's make sure that it's rolled out and implemented properly so that it has teeth and people can actually start to use that law in a practical way. The platforms need to be held into account, and that's where the laws come in. We need law enforcement to be able to have the right people trained in these types of laws to be able to take action. We need society to actually start to care, to understand, to be educated on the damage that online abuse can do. You mentioned Naomi Osaka. Last year, she dropped out of a tournament because of an attack and said she's not going to play because of the impact on her mental health. If you're a fan, that impacts you. You're not going to see your favorite player. If you're betting on that sport, which is where a lot of the hate comes from, then you're losing out on uh, the potential to make some money. If you're a sponsor, you're also starting to lose. So there needs to be a greater education and understanding of the impacts of you know, one person's message shared enough times can can have some major ripple effects. And then it's organisations.
0: Sorry to jump in there, Jackie. And I just put for listeners, I want to put some dimensions around this. So identity attacks, what you look like, sound like, your racial background, all of that kind of stuff. So women athletes, 2.6 times more likely to have an identity attack than a male athlete. You know, so I think two and a half times more likely, and as you've said, that people are at risk, women are at risk, and we know gender inequality leads to violence against women, and gender inequality is perpetuated by disrespect shown towards women. So there's a lot here for listeners who want to really step in and and support women in sport to do. And one of them is, yeah, call out these kind of attacks or not do them. So I would hope that anyone listening is going, yeah, well, that's the last time I post a nasty comment. Because when we post our thoughts and our feelings, let's take identity and gender out of it, because that lack of respect is what perpetuates gender inequality with what perpetuates violence against women. It's just really important for those dimensions to be put around this so that we know exactly why it is you and your colleagues are are focusing on this initiative, which is so powerful because it will stop violence against women. And I've got to say, you've said it yourself, women's sports on the rise. This is an inevitable rise. It is not going to stop. But what we can do right now is arrest the crap that goes with this happening. So I think The initiative is a good one and we need to pay attention to it. And I'm I'm going off a completely different track now. But a lot of people that I I work with are the administrators in sports. So they are the, the boards, the chairs, the CEOs, the executives. And the advice I give them is to, you know, get really serious about making your workplace a safe place for all women, athletes, the people who support the athletes, et cetera, Let's say I'm heading up Chelsea Football Club, you know where Sam Kerr plays, and I go, okay. So I think this might be a good thing because I reckon Sam might Sam Kerr just might be in the firing line. She's a woman, she's a woman of colour, and she's gay. You know, like the, the the opportunity, and I use that term very carefully for identity attacks, misogynistic, homophobic you know, attacks are pretty high for her. So what could I do? What conversation would I be having with you and your colleagues?
1: That's a great question. So what what we would do is we would have a quick chit chat. What's your take? What have you observed? And what do you care about? We know that duty of care is so important. And we need to work with people who understand that As an administrator, your duty to take care of your athletes, to take care of your your workplace and make sure that your workplace, whether it's online or offline, is a safe place. We would have a quick chat and then we would just get to work. We would get all of the social media handles for all of your athletes. We would follow them using our software. And then what our software can do, I should say a caveat, an evolution of our bot because we we've learned a lot about what people need and what will work and we would start to track you could start to kind of get a picture of the abuse within your community but what our technology can do now is as soon as abuse comes in it recognizes it and then can actually get rid of it so it comes in and then it's gone. So depending on what the rules are for the social media platform, whether it's a hide or a mute, it can actually just make it disappear. So if you're Sam Kerr and you have 500,000 followers, if you're tagged or mentioned in something or a comment is uh, received on one of your own posts, that's 500,000 people who could see it. That's how the algorithms work. The bigger the following, the bigger the reach of any comment. So if you're able to hide that comment, if you don't see it, but those ripples are stopped as well. Your family doesn't see it. Your friends don't see it. Your organizations don't see it. Your fans don't see it. The next generation that sees you as a role model doesn't see it and aren't turned off from, you know, being a pro athlete because they know that, it, you know, you're going to have to put up with that. So the more that we can start to just not have that show up in people's social media feeds The healthier those communities can start to be, the safer people can feel, not only those athletes, but also the fans to actually engage. If you're a football fan and you are wanting to comment on something, uh, but you know that people are going to jump in and attack you for your opinion because of your name or what you say in support of women athletes, you're just not going to say anything. If we just get rid of it, we can actually start to build those communities and show that you know your sport is for a diverse community at the same time though we we know some things slip through and there's also great opportunity to build community as well and I guess re-educate this is not like a 1984 re-education sort of thing but a great opportunity to um, enlighten people you know, if you send a gender microaggressions, we have built our own uh, internal language model that can detect gendered microaggressions. And that's a great opportunity for you to be able to jump in with some interesting stats. So you post something saying women's soccer is awesome. Somebody jumps on it and says, my 10-year-old son, it's always a 10-year-old boy. 10-year-old boys, for some reason, are the the, the height of athleticism for, for men. So my 10-year-old son can kick a ball better. It's always that 10 year old. That's a great opportunity for you as an organization to jump in with some stats about, you know, women soccer players. And so what the technology is able to do is to to indicate and give you recommendations on which comments to be able to jump in on, uh, where you can start to move the conversation into a, and I like to say, sort of raise the floor in terms of the, the dialogue within that community.
0: And I think that's a really important capacity and capability building piece for sporting organisations, which are typically fairly lean and we have a lot of people moving through sport. And and in the digital media side of the business, being able to educate, you know, I think of the poor old social media person in in organisations, like I've got to say I've seen some absolute rippers in terms of, you know, Horrible comment posted, social media manager post back. Thank you so much for your comment and a really burn, you know, kind of uh, response. And you go, yeah, go social media manager for that organisation. But we don't always have that experience or confidence to back back so being able to have something that would be able to god i'd use it i'm um, saying excel oh, thanks so much for your comment about your 10 year old son here's some interesting facts about women in sport i think that's a brilliant idea and it's as you said it's lifting the watermark it's lifting the conversation fighting back and, and I'm, I'm careful about using pugilistic terms, but fighting back with positivity, which is a great thing to do. And I think, you know, for anyone who's going, I'm not quite sure about this, I'll I'll quote myself when you and I spoke, is you talked about pioneers. You and your colleagues are pioneers. And I talk about trailblazers. There are so many trailblazers. In fact, I said to a woman last night who was thanking me for something, I said, I stand on the shoulders of giants. There are so many women who have gone before me who have been the trailblazers, the pioneers. We have to work out much, much sooner how to look after those women because it is tough out there, whether they're the first or one of a few, you know, CEOs or boards or athlete or a group of athletes, we have to look after them. And this is a really nifty way of saying this is the way to look after our athletes and I think the other thing for for listeners in in Australia you know we have legislation approaching around the positive duty that employers have to keep women safe and working in respectful environments that will apply to sports environments as well so this is another another reason to pay attention to what are we doing to keep our women athletes safe? What are we doing to look after our trailblazers who are quite literally, and I think particularly for semi-professional and community sport, putting themselves out there and opening themselves up for this kind of abuse and vilification. So it's 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 a really, really good thing. So I, I want to talk a little bit more about you now. When did this all start for you? When did you say, I'm going to spend my life (laughs) advocating for women and gender equality? And for some women, I, I feel like this is a really dumb question, but was there a moment where you went, this is going to be my life?
1: I mean, I'd like to think, you know, speaking of giants, I come from a family with a very strong mother who was the center of the household, who was the breadwinner, who was the the one who just got on with it, you know, that was definitely her generation of just getting on with it. And I learned from her that I should just get on with it. It doesn't matter what you want to do, just do it. And I've come a long way from, from that and from just going out there and sending pitches out as a young 20 something year old to, you know, Sports Illustrated, every sports paper in the world just saying, hey, I want to write this thing. Let me do it just not knowing that I couldn't do it. But now I've learned that I need to be more intentional. I think that you know, 20 something me was quite selfish about what do I want to do for my career. And now that I'm in my mid forties, it's more about what have I learned in my career that I can then help and change things. And I've always cared about gender equity. I don't know how you can't as a woman to be quite honest. I remember my hand-me-down t-shirt, anything boys can do, girls can do better, you know, from the, from the early eighties. So uh, yeah, I'm not sure if it was a moment, but maybe something within me, but then it was as I started working with Casey and Lana on the, on the bot, when everything sort of came together, all of my education, my passions all sort of came together and it was like, oh this is really interesting. There is a really interesting way that we can use technology to fight technology, to take away that emotional labor that we know that you have to go through. If you're a victim of any type of abuse, if we can automate that, if we can build technology that takes care of mental health and helps you with your performance, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a politician, whether you're a journalist, that you have access to any job that you want to do because you should be able to do any job that you want to do, then I'm in. This has not been an easy journey. Uh, I think if you talk to any of the three of us, it has been many, many ups and downs. Um, But if we can move the needle, and we know we can move the needle, we know that this technology can work. It can just stop some of the crap from being seen by everyone and affecting the way that people see women athletes in the world. We can make a difference. We know that the the road to culture change is really short through sport. The, The road to culture change through politics is long and winding and very complicated. Sport equals culture for so many places. I think Australia, that's a great example. Australia equals sport. And that's the same for a lot of places. And if we can affect change in sport and affect change for gender equity in sport, then wow, we've just made a big difference in the culture of that place. And I mean, why wouldn't you want to give it a shot?
0: You've just described so many different things. You've described my own view about why I work in sport because I I, I agree with you. I see sport as, particularly in my geography in Australia, but certainly in the US where I do a lot of work as well. It is quite integral and and I've said it over and over again. If I, I think about my two children who are now adults, but they would sooner listen to a sporting hero of any gender than a politician. So when sports speaks people listen and I think you're right we can affect real change in society through sport but you've also described what so many people their journey from awareness to advocacy which is yeah okay I'm, I'm down for this I'm a feminist and girls can do anything that boys can do and better and blah 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 blah, blah. but then at some point we shift into so what what is my impact on the world going to be whether it's pay it back pay it forward smooth the way whatever it may be, that that advocacy journey is really important. The other thing that I want to pick up on is that, you know, you and your co-founders occupied three different male-dominated spaces, sport, technology, and startups, particularly tech startups. I really appreciate the fact that you and your co-founders are traversing three very, very, very male-dominated environments and advocating for women in sport. So, two final things. Number one, for someone listening now who says, I'm down for this, but I'm just one human. What can I do? You know, what's your advice to a an either an avid or about to be avid supporter and advocate for women in sport? What can they do through social media and you know looking at the, the work that you do, Jackie? What, what action could they take?
1: I think the first thing to do is just say you're going to own it that you're putting up your hand. You have to tell people. I think anytime you tell somebody that you're going to do something, that means you're going to have to do it. At least that's how I work. So put up your hand and say, you know what, this is a problem and I'm going to do something about it. Once you do that, you're off in a way. You're off on your journey. You start to look at raising awareness, collecting data, trying to find examples of this happening, telling more people about it. Once you do that, you can start making some change. What do I find acceptable? What's not acceptable? How do we do something about this? So, you know, if you see something, say something. If you see something online that you don't like, call it out. If you feel safe to do so, sometimes it's not. And so I don't want to put you in the line of fire. But You can check in on that person. You can do everything that our technology does. But as a human, we can just do everything at scale. If you see something directed towards an athlete, you can hop into their DMs and say, hey, I just saw that. Are you okay? Just knowing that validates their experience. And tells them somebody has their back. That protects their mental health. It protects their performance. Keeps them in the game. The impact is still going to be a little bit there. And they'll probably need some help with their coaches. But that's a great way to start. Once you find one person that's interested. You start to have a conversation about it. Then you find four. Then you find eight. Then you find whatever the multiple of that is. And it keeps going. So say it loud. Say it proud. Say it out loud. Own it.
0: And the other build I'd add to that is quoting from Our Watch, who, which is our, our peak body around eliminating violence against women, doing nothing does harm. So if you see it, please do something. And and I, I agree, it's not always safe to intervene, but sliding into a DM to say, hey, Jackie, I just saw that. Are you okay? I'm really sorry. Gee, it, it makes a difference. People have done it for me and I, I I really appreciate it. So I think that's a really great personal action that we can take. Own it, but then, you know, do something to support that person. And then finally, my, my favourite question is what are you hopeful for? The context here is women in sport, but in the context of what you and Areto Labs are doing, what are you hopeful for?
1: Change is possible. I've seen it we've been looking at this problem for quite a few years now we've seen the growth of awareness to now people saying so now what we're seeing governments start to enact laws to protect people whether you're in sport or not from online abuse that there's actually the realization that our world is both online and offline and we need to make sure that we're protecting people in both places and not just one. Uh, and that life in one impacts the other. So I'm hopeful that that there are more organizations who are starting to come to us for help. How can we use your technology to protect my athletes? That's really hopeful. And you know, there are so many brilliant, <laughs> always overachieving women and men who care, allies who care about this same thing that never mind getting a seat at the table that's important but i see a lot of own table a lot of carpentry going on <laughs> where it's like you know women's sport because it's not as entrenched the the organizations have less money which means you have to be more creative on what you do with your money and how you build your own sport ecosystem build fandom etc honestly there are so many so many brilliant women and men who care and working really hard at this, that, you know, in a blink of an eye, I'm hopeful that that just becomes so cliche, the old way of doing things and the new way of doing things with being creative and engaging with fans and, and caring about people and overall athlete wellness and people wellness over, over winning all the time, I think changes afoot. And I'm really hopeful for that. I
0: couldn't have said it better myself. And and you know, I I, I'm very visual and I'm already thinking about carpentry and wood and building a new structure. And and, you know, and I quote Cindy Gallup, who I interviewed for my other podcast, and she said, the current system is busted. You know, it's really broken. It's broken for women and what's not made for women, but it's broken for men as well. So I love the fact that we're building new systems. And, you know, my one of my favorite things I say to people is, well, if you're gonna build the world again, would you do it this way? Go, oh God no, I go, okay. So let's start with that principle, let's build a world that every human can reach their full potential. and of course for for the work that you do um and that I do that of course women and girls in sport can reach their full potential. Jackie Comer thank you so much for sharing your wisdom thank you to the work that that you're doing uh, with technology because I think it's it is groundbreaking it is elegantly simple um, and I know that that's not the case behind the scenes but it is an elegantly simple solution to protecting the trailblazers and protecting uh, women in sport as we must do thank you so much
1: thank you Michelle and thank you so much for having me Thanks for listening, folks. I hope you got a lot of actual insights
0: out of that interview. You know what you can do now to be a person who's smashing the patriarchy in sport? You can leave a five-star rating. You can leave a review. But importantly, please share this podcast amongst your family, your friends, your colleagues, and pretty much anyone who's involved in the system of sport, because together we can close the global leadership gender gap in sport.